0: Today's episode of the Seriously Wrong Podcast is proudly brought to you by speculative income being a vice, just like gambling.
1: Now imagine this. Imagine there is a roulette wheel, and this roulette wheel is as big as a historically poor neighborhood. All the players at this roulette wheel are already rich and they always
0: win i like to think of it like the poor people are sitting on the roulette wheel and when the rich people spin it the poor people get flung off in all directions a big whoosh and
1: then whoosh, ah, yeah, people are screaming and flying to suburbs too yeah who cares now, there's no doubt that gambling can have a negative effect on people's lives frequently criticized for being addictive taking money from some and you know giving it to others Mm. but i want you to think about this is the metaphorical roulette wheel we've described better or worse than a regular roulette wheel the answer may surprise you and it's at the end of the show and now back to the show Now go to a rapidly developing suburb of Wrongtown where two young entrepreneurs are preparing to launch their first small business. Ooh, it's opening day. <laughs> I gotta say, the Villiers and Moritz crest that you had your friend do for us looks amazing. He deserves all the exposure that he's going to get. Do you think anyone will be confused that out of one shared space, we're running both a kombucha brewery and a bike fixing and repair place? Because I feel like they work together really well. You stop in to get your bike
0: fixed, you're thirsty, you want a kombucha. Hey, in the same space. That's just convenient. That's mm-hmm. not confusing. I really see this just developing into a nice community space. Place. Bike
1: to fix or not. Need kombucha or not. It's a place that's welcoming. It's home. Small kombucha shop. Local business. Want to help them out. Mmm. This kombucha is really good. This, I always say ginger honey. That's my favorite flavor. Sure, it's a little more than it would cost at Whole Foods. I think my stuff tastes better than the stuff oh, you get yeah, at Whole I agree. Food. And I love Whole Foods. I'm oh, a yeah. Whole Don't Foods freak. Wrong. Can't wait till the one across the street. Yeah, I think it's spring 2019. We're going to get to see that Whole Foods. It's just like the suburb we grew up in. Little taste of home. Yum, yum, yum. Organic foods. Organic foods. You know, what our uh, what our parents, our used, to parents used to call that? Yeah, <laughs> food. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so true. Hey, it looks like there's some people like waiting for us to open. Yeah, they that's must really be. That's really exciting. Let me just peek out the window. They actually look kind of angry. Am yeah, I that's, reading their faces wrong? That that's that's like sign's a... definitely a picture of our faces with a big X over it, mm. which doesn't really Yikes. strike me as in the spirit of a Community store opening. Yeah. Like, you know, no, wait, like let's not prejudge. I'm just gonna crack the door here for a second, see if we can get a feel for the vibe out there. Sure. Yeah. Good.
0: No idea. No, no gentrification. No
1: gentrification. No no gentrification. Gentrification. Beard, okay, well, they're definitely upset with us. I don't understand why. I don't know what that word means. Yeah, the,
0: gentrification.
1: Uh, Eesh. I really cap out at three syllables. I'm just kidding, but also like sort of seriously. You
0: know what? We can hook into the Starbucks Wi-Fi. Like you can still kind of catch it. Mm. Let's Google the word, see mm. what it means. And then
1: we can talk to the people. And so, Sean and Aaron, the young entrepreneurs who try to open a new business every week, tried to get over the feelings of not being appreciated long enough to try to understand how they're being critiqued. Gentrification has five syllables. There is like a syllable ceiling if you want to hit public consciousness and become part of common sense. And gentrification, neoliberalism, a lot of words that we use on the left just blow through that syllable ceiling and leave behind so many people. Mm -hmm. It also makes me afraid that when I speak about gentrification, that I don't have enough of a grasp of it to have a right to talk about it.
0: Maybe we should make up a shorter word for it, like just genties, gentin. (laughs) That neighborhood got gented. It sounds too gentle.
1: Maybe we should start at first principles to determine what we could better call gentrification that has ideally less syllables or is comprised of words that have less syllables. Maybe the same total amount of syllables,
0: but just... Even a word where the parts are recognizable, that's one benefit neoliberalism has over gentrification. There's a lot of definition wobble with neoliberalism, but at least... People kind of know what liberalism is and they kind of know what neo means. In the end, that doesn't get you much in understanding neoliberalism, but at least the word itself is somehow comprehensible, whereas gentrification... Oh, you don't recognize the word gentry?
1: Well-born, genteel, oh, yeah, okay, upper right. middle class, right. second to the royalty, the gentry. That actually makes perfect sense now that you've explained that to me. So gentrification, broadly speaking, is the process of... Where in a city, low property values are transformed to high property values. And through that process, the poorer residents of a less wealthy neighborhood are pushed out by new developments that bring in richer inhabitants, raise property values, raise the prices at local stores, and push people out of the neighborhood over time and causing them to be displaced. That's sort of like the top level overview of what gentrification is. Rich people move in. Your rent goes up. You have to move
0: out. Take a second to think about the indignity of that. It's kind of humiliating to be kicked out of your home and be forced to leave when you don't want to leave. And it just adds insult to injury that now all of a sudden the place you used to live is actually way nicer than it was when you used to live there. But now you don't get to live there anymore.
1: Yeah, like the neighborhood that you call home is cleaned up, but then part of them cleaning up is removing you. (laughs) You're part of the dirt to them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the humiliating aspect of, of it. And then also the neighborhood will tend to lose affordable housing after that. Even where city councils will say, as part of redeveloping this area and turning into a mixed income neighborhood, we're going to guarantee a certain amount of social housing or affordable rental housing. But then what happens in practice, almost across the board, it's certainly the case here in Vancouver, is they'll set targets for how much affordable housing there'll be. But then through various bureaucratic mechanisms and places where the law isn't firm or trade-offs are made, the developers get out of spending the money on buildings building this affordable housing they'll work out deals that are like okay well we won't do 30% affordable housing but we will donate two million dollars to this like museum project and then they're like oh sick yeah the museum project originally like the affordable housing would cost way more than two million dollars but they make that trade-off to save money city saves face because they set targets and then the developer gets to send off a press release saying we just fucking donated two million dollars to the arts aren't we incredible but what they actually did is displace 30% of the residents of that neighborhood who are supposed to be guaranteed a continued home. They take these neighborhoods where there's a lot of poverty and
0: therefore low property values. And they're like, hey, those property values are super low. Let's buy it all up. And then... Is there anything we can do to raise this property value now that Hmm, we've bought it? Luxury condos, really nice retail spaces, artisanal cupcakes, artisanal grilled cheese sandwiches. So all those things raise the property values and then people with lots of money already are able to extract millions and millions of dollars of value from the value of this land that they purchased and then either sold or renting out
1: or however they choose to monetize it, they got a lot of options. When you're thinking about property values and like real estate speculation is a major part of gentrification and like how it functions. So real estate speculators buy land, but they don't develop it because the real money is just holding onto it and waiting for the neighborhood to go up. So then real estate speculators and developers lobby politicians through like donations, throwing soirees and just like taking meetings with them and convincing them that you're going to be able to increase revenue for the city. You're going to lower the crime rate. Sure. Like someone might get this place and have to go move to another place, but like we'll guarantee 35% social housing. (laughs) Haggle that later. It'll be a real legacy item for you. You know, (laughs) you're going to be able to look back and it's like, you turned the crap neighborhood around and put an artisanal cupcake shop on every corner.
0: Today's episode of the Seriously Wrong Podcast is brought to you by Capitalist Santa. Ho, 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 and what do you want for Christmas, little girl?
1: I want more money. Ho, ho, ho,
0: and how much money do you have already?
1: I already have a lot of money.
0: Well, then I can say you're going to have a nice surprise under the Christmas tree oh, this year. More money.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Captain oh, Losanna. Thank oh, you.
0: You're welcome. And how about you, little boy? What would you like for Christmas? I want money too. All <laughs> oh, these kids. And how much money do you have already? I don't have any money. Oh, 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 oh. I'm sorry, little boy. I think all Santa has in his sleigh for you this year is an eviction notice. <laughs> Whoa,
1: whoa, whoa. Whoa. But I need it.
0: Capitalist Santa Claus, proud sponsor of the Seriously Wrong podcast.
1: I've heard some people play devil's advocate and ask as like a contrarian question. Why does a neighborhood have to stay the same? Why is it good for a neighborhood to stay the same for an extended period of time rather than to change or be redeveloped? Like why is it bad for there to be new buildings? Why is it bad for neighborhoods to get nicer. Right. (laughs) Right. Well, I mean, it's, it's kind of a
0: leading question because it's like, why is it bad for things to get better? Kind of ignoring like the critique. I don't think anyone's arguing that poor neighborhoods should always stay poor and those people should always live like that (laughs) in like, you know, housing that is getting progressively worse and worse over time because buildings fall apart and like you need to build new ones eventually, like buildings don't last forever. Um, Mm -hmm. So like the process of redeveloping areas of cities just always has to happen i
1: mean maybe if they're made out of
0: stone it'd be for quite a while but that's that's about it
1: if they're living in castles if the poor neighborhood of your town is is full of (laughs) castles then maybe you don't need to redevelop ever. But. Or like pyramids, if they're ancient pyramids. <laughs> yeah, if they're living in ancient pyramids. Or...
0: <laughs> Those are lasting structures. They don't yeah. need to be redeveloped and it's every It's a holy site. It's, yeah. protected
1: by, it's protected by old gods.
0: The title of a TED Talk that I watched that I think answers this question in a way was, what if gentrification was about healing communities rather than displacing them? So communities in that sentence obviously is referring to the people who live there and
1: improving them, healing them. Oh, so a community isn't a physical location. A community is the people who live in that physical location. Yeah. I mean, I think it can refer to both and
0: there's some definition wobble there.
1: My mind is blown because I thought you had to make the neighborhood nice and then you replaced all the people and that's how you... (laughs) That's how you make the world better.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and it's like it makes this other problem too, because there is the public-facing side of this where it's like, oh, that neighborhood just seems way better now. I like all these shops that go to the restaurants, the schools have gotten better, is one thing you hear people saying, like gentrification is good because school quality goes up. And it's like, okay, but the
1: people who lived there before now don't get to go to those schools. It's the same people it's serving in this neighborhood that it would have served in the other neighborhoods where they already had good schools. But then because of some of these
0: surface level benefits, governments subsidize and incentivize this process by offering tax breaks, subsidies, what's called abatements, which is just like agreements for lower tax rates for a certain period of time. Instead of pouring money into this community, you're pouring money into the hands of developers. But then also it's like traumatic to be forcibly moved, becoming a refugee. Especially like people who've lived in an area their whole life and they've always called it home and they figure I've lived in this area my whole life, and I thought I was going to die here, but now I'm like, can't. The displacement itself is bad, but it would be a lot less bad if... The people who are being displaced were being displaced to brand new social housing buildings that were affordable and they'd just been built somewhere else. And this really great place that has lots of beautiful parks and nice schools where all these low income people are invited to move into this affordable area. And I
1: think like there is ways to you could, for example, redevelop an area so there's additional housing units there, but there's a base level of housing units that are reserved for the people that already live there. Like I'm just thinking of like the brute fact of if you're
0: going to build a new building, the people who live in that building have to move out. And even if they get first dibs on the new building when they get back and it's going to have space for them, they have to move out. You can't build a building with people in it.
1: We have the resources and the capability organizationally as a society to help people who are being displaced from their house find additional housing and make sure that there's always housing available for people like that. I think that's that's so, just so possible. That's not even yeah. the moonshot idea. Just think about all those hotel rooms. How many of those hotel rooms do you think aren't being used tonight?
0: Oh, yeah. If the government was just like buying bulk, block off a few floors for us while this building is being redeveloped until these people can move back into their brand new homes, their brand
1: new building... You're at the Holiday Inn. Enjoy. And I would note that hotels benefit from cities, tourism department, promoting themselves. Because when my city promotes itself to say, oh, Vancouver is such a great city. You should come here. Blah, 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 blah. Who does that benefit? Big hotel. And I think it's about time that we took a little bit of that revenue back to house the homeless. Another argument I hear a lot around gentrification is that lack of affordable housing and homelessness is a result of there not being enough housing supply, which I think just completely ignores the amount of unoccupied housing supply that we have, like just empty condos, unrented apartments. And there's a variety of reasons that happens. But one of the reasons that that happens is using it for generating speculative income. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's a very narrow economic logic That in this case
0: is narrow because it's imagining that the only purpose of building housing is to put roofs over the heads of people. And so therefore demand is important in the equation of how much this property is worth. Whereas in speculative markets, property values are increasing. It doesn't matter if you rent out the apartments you built, you can sell them for more money later whether there's someone living in them or not. Like, sure, it's nice to have some people living in them and paying you rent. That's great. But if, you know, three quarters of it's empty... I'm still making millions on this property value increase.
1: Also, I've just I've got a beef with supply and demand in general as a concept. People act like supply and demand is like something that's on a calculator. It's like two different sides of an equal sign. It's just how it is if there's a shortage of flashlights and everyone needs one because there's a flood. Inherently, the price rises in relation proportionally to the supply and demand of it. The price elasticity is a force of nature that we as humans merely watch and and <laughs> This, this pisses me off to no end because understanding that this is not about impartial relationships between objects and abstract value that float out there in the universe and we observe like scientists, but is actually about a power relationship between human beings, I think is just so, so essential to understanding what bullshit exists within our concept of economics. And specifically in this instance, taking that sort of bland principle and then applying it to saying that all housing units are the same. It's as if every housing unit is this plain housing unit vague thing. And once you reach a certain point, they'll all go down in value. But it's not true. Like Some housing units have very nice fireplaces. Some housing units have pools in the backyard. Some housing units are really small and made out of a shipping container. There's a huge spectrum there. And things on the lower end cost less and things on the higher end cost more. And if you're only building things on the higher end because it's a speculative vehicle and you're not building any of the lower end stuff, you're never going to fix the housing problem. It's not about supply and demand it's about the type of supply then demand's irrelevant if you can make money through speculative value so yeah fuck supply and demand shit like fuck that it's it's never that simple supply increases
0: and prices drop demand decreases prices drop like it just it doesn't always work that way because the real world is complicated and not an abstraction that takes one paragraph to write out Welcome to
1: Keyboard Warrior Radio Theater. No gentrification in historic old wrong town.
0: Why do you hate construction workers? Historic old wrong town
1: is falling apart and desperately needs it to be updated. Thanks for asking that question. I'm not against development or construction workers or anything like that. What matters is the type of development. I'm actually a big development advocate. I think we should build the largest social housing complex in human history right here in Wrongtown. I'm talking about 10,000 units of affordable social and rental housing for families, pensioners, people on welfare, the biggest development project in our town's history. That's a lot of words to use to say,
0: I hate development. Old buildings are inherently good. New buildings are inherently bad. And everyone who's ever made money is a terrible person and should never make any more. I've had it up to here with people like you who claim to care about the community. And then when someone tries to do something good for the community, you come in to protest them, protesting improvement, protesting development. It's disgusting.
1: I'm in favor of the largest construction project in wrong town history to build thousands and thousands of units of social housing to serve the community. I think that our job is not to protect geographic regions from development or anything like that, but is ultimately about helping and protecting people who are vulnerable and are pushed out of communities by policies like this. I'm an extremely responsible citizen who's very aware of how development works. I want to create construction jobs. I want to create the largest social housing project in history. Typical naysayer leftist.
0: Opposing, opposing, opposing while having no positive platform
1: for yourself. Wow. Blocked. Today's episode of Seriously Wrong is proudly brought to you by Increasing revenues to the city by kicking out all those poor people who barely have any money to pay in taxes and bringing in extremely rich people from which you can take a very tiny sliver of taxes, which is an increase in tax revenue. Wow, the budget is balanced this quarter. You did it. Thank you. I represent this geographic area. I don't represent the people in it. Well, don't get it People come and go. They sure do, especially go. Especially certain kinds of people. I was getting a lot of criticism like, oh, you're not representing your constituents. You're only standing up for the developers and mm-hmm. the property owners. And I was like, okay, well, are you even my constituent anymore? Because I'm pretty sure you've just been displaced. And I'm pretty sure I have new constituents who I've been serving all along. Do You ever consider that? And then they're kind of like usually too owned to speak. That makes sense. That's a perfect own. It's owns like that that got me so far in politics. Owning your former constituents. Proud sponsor of Seriously Wrong. One of the problems caused by gentrification is displacement and disenfranchisement of poor and marginalized people. You've also got the influx of outside speculative investors that aren't connected to the community profiting off of that community. It's another problem. There's also the destruction of historical neighborhood character, where a neighborhood is completely transformed into a different neighborhood without any respect for the people who have lived there and the history of the location. And then finally, distorted political incentives, where it might be more profitable to make a policy decision that disadvantages the already disadvantaged. So it might make more revenue for the city and make more donations for your party to work against marginalized people, but generate revenue for people who are already rich. When we first started talking about doing this
0: episode, reading about this problem and feeling overwhelmed by it, I'm just like, what the fuck? This seems very intractable. It's been going on around the world for a long time. But there's actually like tons of solutions to this that already exist. Like I was actually kind of floored by how many different tactics for helping to solve these problems or parts of these problems I was able to find. And so then it's like, well, why aren't we doing that? Why aren't we doing some of these solutions that we'll outline in just a minute? And the thing that it came down to for me is the orienting values of the people who have the power in these situations. So it's like, are they most focused on an intention to uplift the residents or to make a lot of money in land speculation. It seems like, based on their actions, that their orienting intention is to make a lot of money based on land speculation, while they pay some lip service to uplifting neighborhoods and making things better for people.
1: So the politicians, they either have intentions out of whack, which is contemptible, or the ability to follow through on their intentions is out of whack. And in either case, for a politician, that's not a good thing. So there's there's not a really great defense. I mean, it almost feels harsh to point out it's kind of incompetent if you've allowed this to happen, but your actual priority is enriching the people of the neighborhood. Yeah,
0: so it just it seems like that's not their actual priority to an outside observer.
1: In defense of everyone all the time. People always are working from limited information. There can be a really compelling slideshow that you're given that you don't have the technical expertise. Actually, that was something I was reading in The Guardian about city planning. And there was like a specific instance where there was a a controversial city planning process where like less affordable housing was built. And one of the people on the city council commented They they don't have the technical expertise, like city councillors and politicians don't have the technical expertise to know whether or not estimates of how much things are going to cost, what the profit ratio is going to be, stuff like that. When the slideshow
0: promises that there's going to be all this social housing, 40% social housing... Yeah, what do they know that it's not going to happen, except if they look at history. But, you know, I'm too busy to look at history. They're, they got a lot to deal with. It's it's a reason, but it's not an excuse.
1: Yeah, and it's really important that it's addressed. And that's also part of the sort of the distorted political incentives problem, what we're talking about. The interplay between developers, real estate speculators, and governments that deal with zoning, governments that are responsible for the, the land area that's being affected, that relationship has become distorted. In order to fix the problem of gentrification, we need to fix that problem as well. Yeah. Okay. So
0: here I got I got a list of what I'm going to call band aids. These are things that aren't going to solve gentrification, but there are things that could be voted in in municipalities that would help ease this problem while we deal with it on a more fundamental level. So some of those things are rent control this has been around for a long time lots of cities have used it and some people have gotten to stay in neighborhoods and not been displaced because of rent control like it has worked for some people sometimes in some places it's not perfect but for the people that it's worked for, I'm sure they're really happy it was it went into effect.
1: And through continual experimentation and refinement and trying out different versions of exactly how the rent control formula works, we could make it ever more perfect. But at the same time, give people safe and accessible housing who need it. Another band-aid is banning condo conversions.
0: This is... A common tactic that is used to displace people, which is where apartment buildings are converted into condominiums and instead of being owned by one person, they're sold off to many different people. And of course, the people who are renting apartments in a building generally aren't going to have the money to buy condos in that same building. So because this is so often used as one of the tools of displacement until we have more fundamental solutions in place, not letting people do that helps people keep their homes
1: in the rules of British Columbia here in Canada where we record the show and where we live mm. one of the big ways that they used to get people out is they do what they call a renovation where or they're making substantial renovations and with 2 months notice one of which is unpaid the tenant doesn't have to pay rent for the last month You can kick people out to renovate the apartment and then jack up the rent as much as you want, which is like one of the main ways that gentrification happens in Vancouver.
0: Yeah. Yeah, So that's another thing we can ban. Uh, Another thing is banning vacancy (laughs) (laughs) just just on a banning spree. That's what these band-aids are all about. So, you know, having high taxes on vacant rooms encourages people to lower the price. And make it not profitable to hold these empty apartments. Like we were talking about before, it doesn't matter if people rent them out or not because they're making money on the increased land value. If you make it costly enough to have vacant apartments or just outright say it's not it's not allowed, I, I don't actually know how the you could do that. I think the only way to do that is with taxes. So banning vacancy is maybe a strong way to put it, but definitely putting disincentives on having vacancies.
1: I think having a legislative thing where if someone is kicked out of their apartment, there is a responsibility to rehouse them somehow.
0: Yeah, right, right. Whether that be the
1: direct responsibility of the developers themselves or a mixed responsibility between the developers who provide funding that's matched by city funding or state funding or whatever and then helps people to get rehoused. And ideally, like as close to the same area as possible. Or if people want to move it's up to the person, it should be voluntary as much <laughs> right. as possible. Right, right, right. Like they should have autonomy during the process and they shouldn't just be someone who's acted upon. They should have the opportunity to act themselves in relation to their destiny.
0: Yeah. The other one I had written, which it feels a bit rude to call this a band-aid. Uh, and I forgot to even talk about this problem when we were talking about the problems, but abolishing Anti-homelessness ordinances, which is one of the ways that gentrification pushes people out other than uh, by increasing their rent so they have to move is by criminalizing homelessness by doing things like criminalizing loitering, criminalizing panhandling, Mm -hmm. minor drug offenses, public urination, other things, cracking down on these kinds of minor crime in an area serves the function of getting poor people off the streets and into jails. And that's another method of displacement.
1: Yeah. And it could also not even be necessarily sending them to jail for urinating in the street (laughs) or whatever but part of the the way that the ordinance sort of structure works is by unequal enforcement and so like you enforce in the neighborhoods you want to push people out of and you don't enforce in the neighborhoods that you want to make people focused on right 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 So so like a gentrified neighborhood that's reaching like a late stage of gentrification is going to have a higher amount of enforcement on minor crimes. The sort of cynical,
0: intentional, extra enforcement in certain areas because, hey, this is an up-and-coming area, that's something that can be noticed and countered. Like, we shouldn't be doing this.
1: (laughs) It's part of the humiliation matrix that makes gentrification such a cruel thing. So you're removing their voice in the affairs that affect their own life. And then you're also pushing them out of their neighborhood at the same time. Fuck, it's horrifying. <laughs> yeah. it's Just imagine being in that person. Yeah, Dehumanization and segregation.
0: Another uh, category of solutions people have already come up with, so we don't have to come up with our own solutions, was direct actions. So this is stuff like... Eviction blockades. You know, people are getting evicted. You get your direct action group down there and hold hands. Stop it from... I don't hold hands. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's cute. I like the holding hands part.
0: But the point is to make doing these awful things as difficult as possible. Like, don't mm-hmm. just like bow your head and say, yes, sir, I'm evicted and leave. No, get all your fucking friends together and be like, we're not fucking leaving. Squatting is another direct action that I had listed here. Don't fucking leave. Just don't leave. Or find
1: an empty place and go there and
0: then don't leave there. Squatter's rights are a thing. You can involve people in legal battles. I mean, this might be tiring for you. It might not be something that you are capable of doing or that you have the energy or whatever, but if you can, you should. Another form of direct action is protesting new developments and banks that are funding these new developments. So protest, we've had some criticisms of it before, but, you know, I don't think people should stop protesting things. <laughs> it just shouldn't only be protests. So, like, if there's a new development that's going to displace a lot of people, organizing a protest about that is a good thing.
1: Well, yeah, yeah, especially if you can make people aware of what's happening and move them up sort of like the organizing scale from being unaware to being inspired to take action themselves to stand up for their own rights and their neighbor's rights. That can only be a good thing if you're helping people move along the right direction.
0: Mm. Yeah. And maybe when you're at that protest, you can network a bit and set up another way to engage in direct action, which is to form a tenants union and collectively bargain.
1: Um, There's actually a tenants union in Vancouver called the Vancouver Tenants Union. Are you a member? I am a member of the Vancouver Tenants Union. Thank Mm. you for asking. (laughs) Uh, I don't think I am. Or I mean, Uh, I know I'm not. Do they do anything? Yeah, they do. They've helped organize buildings where people are getting fucked over by slumlords. Nice. Um, They also do policy interventions. Like the provincial government had them deliver a report to like a task force on like what they're hoping to see changes to tenancy legislation. That's another thing that they've done recently. Uh, But primarily it's organizing tenants door to door, finding problem buildings, and then getting the people there to assert their rights instead of being like intimidated out and stuff like that. Today's episode of Seriously Wrong is proudly brought to you by Empty Luxury Condos, which is somehow abstractly, quote, increasing supply, which in turn somehow abstractly helps the poor and the homeless.
0: What are all those protesters complaining about? Didn't you just build... 800 new units of housing in that neighborhood? Yes, I did. Luxury, luxury condos. condos. Yeah, beautiful places. Who would be unhappy with some beautiful
1: condos being built? I think 20 to 30 of them are occupied. Yeah. Oh, I live in one of them. Do you ever see any neighbors? Uh,
0: You know, I think I did once, but that might have just been a delivery guy or something. Mm.
1: But yeah, lots of supply. And I mean, if it's not working so far, I think that's just proof you need to build more luxury condos, increase the supply, make sure that there's more supply. Have you ever heard of supply and demand? Proud sponsor of today's seriously wrong.
2: Hi there. You've reached Mr. Bysworth's office. How can I direct your call, Mr.
0: Spensworth? I'd like to speak to Bysworth.
2: Oh, Spensworth. Yes, you're his nemesis. Is that right? Yes. Just one second. I'm going to put you right on hold, and I'm going to see if he's available. Okay. Thank you.
0: Better not keep me on hold for too long. I'm a busy man.
2: Spensworth, you old scumbag, calling me at work.
0: (laughs) It's not like you have anything real to do. Now that I snatched that land development deal out from under your nose.
2: (laughs) Spensworth.
0: Bysworth, you've been. Springsdale belongs to the uh, Bysworth family. Not according to the deed. <laughs>
2: well, Spensworth, did I tell you about my recent investment? <laughs>
0: what is it, a two story apartment building?
2: Very funny, Spensworth. I bought up three city blocks in the poorest neighborhood of Wrongtown. Mm, Bysworth? Mm. Oh, uh, I'm going to make a lot of money
0: on this one. What percentage of social housing?
2: The bylaws say that it has to be 20% social and rental housing. And guess what I've negotiated? What? I'm going to be building six units of social housing. Oh, it's That's <laughs> such good business
0: dealing. <laughs> <sighs> oh,
2: sorry, now Spensworth, I've got to go. Lots of people to displace. Lots no, of money to make.
1: Wait, wait. Goodbye. <laughs> Do you have a word? yet uh, something other than gentrification um no because it's still really long and it's just think about it this way like with a word that big that word's reputation and size has kept me out of the discussion on gentrification for an unnaturally long amount of time. And I can only imagine that that same effect is felt by others, in particular with people who aren't avid readers or people who English is a second language or people who have a political allergy to terms that sound like they're from one disposition or another. There's a bunch of different reasons why the jargonistic polysyllabic words keep people out. It would need to be a name that summarizes... That some rich motherfuckers are selling some disadvantaged people's comfort for a lot of money. Like that's what's, ha- that's, yeah. that's the S- fundamental S- dynamic.
0: community out from under them, yeah.
1: Yeah, is that a rich motherfucker not tied to the community comes in and sells them all out. Selling out the neighborhood, I don't know, I don't know. I think selling out the neighborhood is a good, uh... Yeah, it's a phrase,
0: it's more syllables, but it because it's smaller words, it yeah. works better. I like that. So, how do we stop people from selling out the neighborhood? Like, yeah, we should put in these band aids. Yeah, we should engage in direct actions. But, like, what's something more fundamental that would prevent capital owners from? extracting all this value out of communities for themselves and instead directing that value
1: into the actual
0: community that lives there.
1: One wonderful solution is called the windfall value capture tax. So when a neighborhood massively increases in land value, they actually haven't earned that money in a working hard and earning money kind of way. So that difference in value between the original price and the inflated price based on the development and other things happening in the neighborhood, a land value capture tax, it undermines real estate speculation because it says any revenue that would be made that would typically go to... Yeah, there's these windfalls of
0: extra money that comes just from increasing values.
1: Instead, that money goes towards community funds, or some people say that would go towards a basic income, or just whatever, it needs needs to be done. So that's a proposal that can address speculative investment from outside of the community. It addresses the problem of outsiders who already have money making a lot of money off of a community at the expense of the people living there. The disenfranchisement needs to be addressed, and so that would be enfranchising these communities to have a say in the shape of their community and the direction it goes, and especially their own role and space within it. So again, this sort of community fund that could come out of the land value capture could be used to make the communities better or help people be lifted from poverty or, or there's any number of incredible things you could do But daycare, amazing libraries, give everyone some free taxi rides every month because <laughs> you care about the people and there's a lot of money coming in from all the improvements. By taking away this revenue source that comes on the back of communities, we can begin to address the problem of distorted political incentives. And there's various forms that this takes, but some of the action we can take to subvert that is by changing the relationship between money and politics at the municipal level. One of the ways that developers and real estate speculators affect political policy is by throwing these sort of like soirees where they're mingling with all the politicians and they're assuring them like oh yes you just you simply have to build more supply we've had our experts crunch the numbers and we have the expertise
0: yeah and they're not having a lot of soirees with the poor members of the community oh like
1: the, yeah the soiree <laughs> of like we're all the displaced renters we're all the evicted now homeless renters and this is our soiree <laughs> with the local politicians
0: <laughs> where we get to influence them they should have soirees and invite you know members of community to well if they want to affect policy and... the, i mean come on guys <laughs> no no i'm not putting the onus on them i'm saying that don't invite any capital owners, just invite members of poor and marginalized communities to come in, eat some mini wieners, have
1: some cocktail shrimps, and share their ideas for policy. I think it would be great. That's a beautiful idea. And that's a solution that will help solve the distorted political incentives problem. Um, but also you could take monetary donations out of politics. You could put more checks and balances through like expertise in the public service. There's, there's various things that you could do to, to help that. You could switch to a electoral system that better reflects the will of the voters, that encourages deeper levels of engagement, stuff like ranked ballots or proportional systems. There's all sorts of things that are more interesting than first past the post and worth checking out. The other solution that I found that I just
0: really loved, hadn't heard of it before, is the idea of community land trusts, which are nonprofit organizations that exist to develop and steward communities, create affordable housing, commercial spaces, community assets, et cetera, et cetera. So the way these organizations work is that they can actually just remove pieces of land from the speculation market by saying, this isn't for sale. We as a community own this. The Community Land Trust owns this. Everyone who lives in the community gets a vote in what the Community Land Trust does. So it's a very democratic and local type of organization that is a way for people who live in a community to directly participate in the creation of their community through this organization that is a nonprofit that they have direct control over and that have a mandate to actually buy all of the land in the community that they can. There's various ways that this can happen. Governments can grant them land access for less money than it's worth. They can work with investors. But once a community land trust owns the land that a community exists on, they can make their own rules about who gets to build there? What types of stuff gets to be built there? And we'll generally provide leases to you know developers who want to build a housing building. They can lease that land, but the ownership is retained by the community land trust, and they can control how much of a return on investment the developer gets versus how much is uh, put back into the land. Sh- trust coffers and they can use it in ways that the community sees fit. So this is another way of redirecting the gains to the community rather than to developers.
1: Something great about that is how it provides participatory mechanisms. And I feel like that would make a big difference towards the problem of destruction of historical neighborhood character by keeping the people making the decisions about the neighborhood are connected to the neighborhood and understand it. We now go to the politician taking two-meeting sketch.
0: Representative, Representative, are you ready for your first meeting? Uh, Yes, I am. Really busy morning. Two meetings. All right, I'll bring him in. This man is on the brink of homelessness.
1: Ooh, I always hate these ones.
0: Thank you for letting me uh, have this meeting with you.
1: Oh, sir! If you don't mind me saying, you um, got a bit of an odor with you.
0: You know, I haven't had anywhere to shower for the past three months, Ooh. so <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah, Sorry. Ripe. Yeah. Well, I've got some wet wipes in my desk. You know what? I don't mind. What I really wanted to talk to you about was... You don't need to use them now, but I'm just going to slide these wet wipes over.
0: When I was pushed out of my house... They said that Mm. the new development
1: was going to have social housing and that I'd be given first dibs, you know. Oh, yeah. I'm extremely proud of the policies that we put forward to ensure that when there's redevelopment happens, a certain percentage is maintained as social and rental housing. So the building's been up for a month
0: now and there's no place for me to live there. And my job says if I don't come in showered
1: tomorrow, I'm going to be fired. I remember what happened with that development. If the developers had made the amount of social housing that was in the bylaws... (laughs) their rate of profit would fall below 17%, so we did everything we could to help them. Is there any way you can get me somewhere to stay tonight? Me and my family, we're desperate. Mm, You're on the the wait list for social housing, right? For months, yeah. And are the shelters all full? All full. (sighs) I'm gonna lose my job. Hmm. Sorry, there's absolutely nothing I can do. And I'll just escort you out.
0: Sorry, I'll, I'll spray some Glade around. Thank you, please. Sometimes those meetings are really hard. I can see that it takes a toll on you, sir, but Just emotionally... stay strong. Stay strong. Yeah. Hey, Representative, thanks for taking the meeting. I always appreciate your time. Hemsworth, you son of a bitch. How are you doing? <laughs> Mostly pretty good. One little hey, fly in the ointment. Uh-oh, Triple in paradise? What can I do for you? Well, as you know, I just built 17 new luxury condos. Mm-hmm. It's part of the regional development plan. We're super proud. And, you know, part of that was I was supposed to build one more building that was going to be all social housing. Mm-hmm. And I'm just realizing after we finished the 17 luxury condos, out of money really if I did it I would actually go into the red the shareholders would lose faith we might have to restructure the
1: board might remove whoa, me as CEO there's like this Domino's the Hemsworth please I need you to relax I'm in your corner, man. Let me pull up my spreadsheets. Thank you. So, okay, so this is supposed to be 100% social housing. But what if we bump that down to 35% social housing on this one? 35 uh No, could, no, say no more. 20? 20. And You're also an angel. Let me just double check in the spreadsheet here. Yes, we can give you a generous subsidy to help offset the cost. Perfect. And do tell the board of directors that I'm not going to be on city council forever. And I do hope to pivot to the private sector someday. So just pass that word on. Definitely will. And on a personal note, can Mm -hmm. I just, how do you feel about my new cologne?
0: oh it smells amazing you smell really good coming in here it's a sandalwood and birch sap mix i bought it from this artisan shop leased a space in one of the bottom of our luxury condos well
1: hopefully they spray it around that whole neighborhood because (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know you you, know know. all right well thank you love you goodbye Bye, (laughs) bye love you take care what another day. Another day of
0: being an elected representative. You know, sometimes, sir, I don't know how you do it. They're just all these meetings, all these decisions. It's, uh, it's uh, you inspire me. I don't know any other way to
1: put it. Well, thank you. Is there any secrets, anything you can tell me? I, I, I'd i love to learn. I think today shows something. It's a big lesson. Getting into politics is is the sad truth is you can't help everyone, hmm. but you can help some people. And it's like that story with the little boy throwing the starfish back in the ocean. His mom says, you're never going to be able to save all the starfish. And he said, I saved that one. I saved that one. In that same sense, I'm able to provide quite a large deal of help to a very small group of people. Chills down my spine, sir. Thank you.
0: So we've been talking a lot about land developers, city planners,
1: owners. Yeah, I think like the real heart of this, where this displacement really comes from and what we probably should focus a lot more on is is the aesthetics, like the real enemy here. It's. Bushy beard oil beards. We're talking about polyamorous couples. We're talking about people who make ice cream the old-fashioned way. Like, how many different
0: types of grilled cheese do you need? Poor people only need one. They're rational.
1: So, Jacques, young people with an interest in aesthetics and alternative music. We're keeping an eye on you. You are actually, like, the root of the problem. You are the root. People want to say, like... They're just part of the strategy that the
0: developers use in order to transition the community to a place of luxury condos (laughs) and like super high property values. And then that artist, yuppie class of hipster people will eventually move on to the next gentrified area. And they kind of play a role because of economic incentives provided by the developers who are really to blame. And that's just complete nonsense.
1: Idiotic stuff. Well, back to the show. I think it'd be good to be a good neighbor during this whole process.
0: Yeah, there's a major lack of neighborliness going on. I think part of the reason people get mad at these hipsters and stuff is that they sometimes come in and are like, oh, gross. Why is there so many poor people around here? Whereas if you're a hipster and you're moving in and you're recognizing that you're part of this displacement process, but like, hey, we all need apartments and like, this is where I can afford it and... Not being arrogant and being aware, I think, would go a long way from de-escalating the vitriol that gets lumped onto some of those types of people, hipsters and
1: stuff. Yeah, a friend pointed out to me, she said that the speculative market that generates gentrification isn't personalized and a gentrified area can have a ton of empty condos and still be gentrified. It's not about the people living in a certain right, area. Right, it's right. about the economic character of the neighborhood and the political and economic and investment decisions that are creating it. So yeah, I think focusing on the economic aspects here is probably a, a good way to go. Although I, we, I, you wouldn't want to downplay, I don't mean to say that to downplay race. Oh yeah, we, we haven't even mentioned race. Yeah, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe we should talk about race. Yeah, well, I mean, since you mentioned it, particularly in the United States, but also around the world, it's often people of color who are displaced by gentrification. It's often that white developers working with white city councils are bringing in white hipsters that push out black and brown people from traditionally black and brown neighborhoods. There's a persistent racial association with gentrification wherever race and class are highly correlated. It's no secret through U.S. history, race and class have been extremely highly correlated for a very long time. Mm, yeah. One one of the general risks of gentrification is resentment, and that can take the form of uh, class resentment, but it also very frequently takes the form of a racial resentment. As people of color are pushed out of their neighborhoods, they recognize, hey, this white hipster opened a kombucha shop where the corner store used to be, and me and all my friends are being forced to move out of the place where we grew up together. It's understandable that someone could feel a little bit of resentment around that type of thing, especially when you see all this economic prosperity going to the new inhabitants. And is that economic prosperity being shared with the black community that has lived there for generations? Absolutely not. Yeah, things like this, the class issues and race. And I mean, we haven't even talked about gender. Oh, you know? yeah. No, we haven't even talked about how gentrification connects to gender. The
2: gender. <laughs> oh, Oops.
1: All right, let's talk about gender for a second. There's a term called the feminization of poverty, which refers to how women disproportionately make up the world's poor. There's a number of reasons. Historical disenfranchisement and patriarchy is obviously a huge part of that. Yeah, poor neighborhoods that have a lot of single mothers is
0: a really common trope. Like people know that that's a thing. And so those neighborhoods getting gentrified, who's getting pushed out, it's the single mothers, it's Women who have very few options because they have the burden of raising the children. The men can just go and, you know, maybe have to pay child support if
1: (laughs) they can be found. There's social pressure for women to raise a family. So then you have, on one hand, for a woman to take welfare or any sort of government subsidy for raising children is seen as like freeloading, even though obviously raising children is a pretty intensive job. And an important thing that society needs. Yeah. And then on the other hand, if you say, okay, well, then we should make sure there's affordable daycare through either state subsidy or social programs so that they're able to earn income for themselves so they Mm -hmm. don't sit like a freeloader or whatever the welfare queen narrative is. But then if you do that and say, okay, we want to have state subsidized childcare, then all of a sudden all the people are like, oh, well, shouldn't women be spending more time with their kids? Are you saying that the state should raise their children for them? So it's like this insane double bind where if you're a woman with a child, society doesn't want you to take money to raise your kids and also doesn't want to give you the opportunity to go work and just generally in society there are more women in poverty than there are men in poverty there are more single mothers than there are single fathers raising children these differences create differences in outcome which affect everyone it's bad for world peace and you just got to point out I know this is going to make some men cringe to hear but I just it's objectively true the city councils that approve these zoning processes are overwhelmingly men so that's more than 50 50% men, probably 85 plus percent of the time. At the same time, these rich speculative developers, again, mostly men. And that doesn't mean like, oh, all men are inherently guilty for this. But like, also look at the pattern. It's like poor women being pushed out by rich men. This kind of sucks.
0: Yeah, I mean, it makes sense why gender antagonisms develop, even though like the homeless guy down the street, it's not his fault that the rich developers did this. So it's a nightmare in race relations. It's a nightmare in gender relations, and I mean we haven't even talked yet about LGBT trans
1: issue. No, we haven't mentioned them <laughs> once. Thanks. Yeah, 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 Okay, well, an interesting thing about the gay community specifically and how it intersects with gentrification, according to Peter Moskowitz, he's the writer of How to Kill a City, which is a book about gentrification, Peter says that gay people, in particular gay white men, are both victimized and perpetrators of gentrification in a unique way. Uh, gay communities are often used to help kickstart gentrification and begin the transformation from a low-income neighborhood into like a more trendy arts district. Yeah, the overlap between uh, gay men
0: and artists arts and hipsterism, I think, is quite apparent. And uh, I've seen statistics that gay male couples, married couples, are generally wealthier than straight couples on average.
1: Generally speaking, though, the rate of poverty in the LGBT community is larger than the, the rate of poverty within the heterosexual or cisgender communities. In particular, trans people are the most economically disadvantaged group around this because they face workplace discrimination, family discrimination. There's a lot of transphobia in society, and that has economic effects. But also, although Early in the process, the gay community is useful for helping to change the The character of a neighborhood. Eventually, the same cycle that brings them in pushes them out. As continued development further gentrifies the neighborhood, as more speculative investors come in to hold on to empty condos to make money over time, LGBT people and especially poorer LGBT people are pushed out of their gay districts by speculative investment and uh, sort of pastiche of rainbow capitalism. Yeah, you paint all the sidewalks pink and then all of a
0: sudden there's uh, uh, no more cheap livable spaces for homeless trans teens. Yeah, geez, it intersects with so many issues and now I'm realizing something we've not mentioned the entire episode
1: is the capitalist system that we all live under. Oh, yikes, forgot to uh, mention it. (laughs) Geez. Well, it's good to bring up. Gentrification functions through income inequality. And as long as there is a massive difference between the wealth of some and the wealth of many, that inequality is a driver of a lot of social ills. But it's also a driver of gentrification. If we can take steps to address inequality at the source, it will have a massively positive effect for preventing gentrification in the future because the way all these power dynamics work is that the wealthy have power, the poor don't have power. And as a result, the wealthy are able to use their power to push poor people out the neighborhood and cash in on that. And, and I think additionally, just the
0: logic of neoliberalism, which utilizes the rhetoric of free markets and lack of regulation and the benefits of capitalism to stop any attempts to pass regulations and pass laws that would work at cross purposes with this process. So the logic of free markets are always good. The freer the market, the better. The fewer the regulations, the better. The less government, in air quotes, the better. All of those things, the logic of capitalist apologism is key and central to preventing the kinds of changes that would be needed to make a real impact on improving the problem of gentrification.
1: And let's be really clear about something that's important. Housing is a human right. Safe, accessible... Housing for everyone is a human right. And any system that prioritizes speculative investment, people earning money off of guessing where property values are going to change in price, if that's being prioritized over people getting basic access to very basic housing, now just safe, accessible housing for everyone, regardless of their income, regardless of their racial background, regardless of their gender identity or sexual orientation, they deserve safe accessible housing. It's a human right. Speculative investment is not a human right. And if anyone tells you that it is, they're lying to you because they're making a lot of money by pushing you and your friends out of your neighborhood. And, you know, while we're touching on all these things, I'm just like, geez...
0: We haven't even touched on humanity's destiny among the stars. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Man, a whole episode without... Whoops. Our bad. We're we're getting called out by ourselves (laughs) like that. We're going to fix that problem right now. Our future is among the stars. That's where space, socialism, it's right in the name space. And if we haven't figured out how to take care of each other, how to be kind to each other, and how to deal with situations where we are entering spaces that may be inhabited by other peoples, which, you know, is something we might face out in space. This could just cause way more problems down the road. This is something we need to get right and we need to get it right now and we need to get it right in preparation for that wonderful future.
1: Mm-hmm. And another angle on this is that as long as our society is functioning on scarcity, focusing on competition, competition for housing or making the most profits, as long as our society is based on illegitimate hierarchy where power is outstepping merit and competence for how things are organized, as long as our society is set up this way, we are missing out on so much human potential. There are so many people with incredible thoughts and capacity who are being pushed down by this system. And if we allow them to thrive, if we give them the room to thrive, then they're going to contribute to the technological changes and the social changes that are needed to bring humanity to the stars together in peace, world peace, perfect utopia, etc. Gentrification is directly standing in between us and a perfect society. So, yeah, I think...
0: Did we just cover all the bases? I think we just covered all the bases. I think
1: we covered covered those bases. That's one
0: base, two base, three base, four base, home run. Home run. I mean, if there's a base we missed, please let
1: us know. But from now, we're going to say that was a home run. Today's episode of Seriously Wrong is proudly brought to you by Gentrification on Life Support.
0: Uh, the wrong boys totally owned me and now everyone is changing the social policies that I'm the anthropomorphication of and I'm fading away.
1: Damn, gentrification. Do you think you'll ever recover? I don't have any hope. We're losing him. Gentrification! No! That on-point satire killed him! <laughs> the doctor turns the camera. On behalf of everyone, thank you, wrong boys you killed gentrification. We are now going to be shifting around the world to better social development policies. Thanks again.
0: And thank you all so much for listening. This has been the Seriously Wrong Podcast. If you want to support what we're doing, if you like the show, we have a Patreon. You can start a monthly subscription for $6 a month or more. You'll get access to our entire archive of old episodes, bonus episodes going forward. The Patreon RSS feed contains versions of the show that doesn't have this donation ask in it. You'll get into a secret Facebook group. In the Facebook group, we post things like when we do secret Google Hangouts, we interact with the fans, talk about new episodes, take show suggestions lots of stuff available to people who choose to help us out and donate so we really appreciate everyone who does that and hope that you'll consider it as well
1: it makes a big difference in how much we're able to do the show and how good the show is and it's also really meaningful to us like we just appreciate that people want to come along with us, help create more shows that help us and others to understand the world better, and then also take pragmatic steps towards creating a better world together. So really sincerely, thank you to everyone who uh, who does that. We'll see you all next week. We now return to Villiers & Moritz Combination Kombucha Brewery and Bicycle Repair Shop, where Sean and Aaron have just finished reviewing dozens of articles on gentrification over starbucks wi-fi oh i think i get it i get why they're so mad i read like six articles on the guardian a bunch of good ted talks on the topic mm. too and i mean i read the wikipedia top to bottom and i really feel i get it now it took a little while it's a big word i'm no noam chomsky on the topic but at least I got the basics down. So do we have a consensus
0: that the protesters are right. Yeah, we're definitely taking part in the process. Yeah. We got to take responsibility for what we're doing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's not as easy as passing the buck up and saying, okay, this is just the developers, this is just the real estate yeah, speculators, no, this no. is just the politicians. Like we do play a part in this. I mean, we wanted this to be a community space, right? Yeah, definitely. And the community's out there with a message. Huh, this really gets me... My gears are turning here. You know I've got a really entrepreneurial sort of spirit, right? Oh, your entrepreneurial gears are turning? I feel like I'm starting to innovate a way to solve gentrification. But um, just give me one more second. You know what? I think we should go outside. We should address the protesters and let them know that we're on their side. They don't have to protest anymore. I think that'll make everyone feel a lot better. Okay, and...
0: Hey everyone. Yeah. Oh. Um, <laughs> no thank you. I, mean, yeah. um, I hear you. No gentrification. So,
1: sorry, could we just
0: we just want to talk just for one sec. We you, know, yeah, we could definitely Could you let us say our
1: piece? We wanted to let you know you've been heard. First and foremost, we're really really sorry. Yeah, I had no idea what gentrification was before this protest started. I just saw it on one of your signs and we Googled it, and I really feel like we have egg on our face. We just love
0: bikes, we love kombucha, and we got tunnel vision. We weren't thinking about the larger
1: context. Yes, we we hear you. You guys were right. Sean is creating a plan, and we're gonna fix this. I'm gonna use private sector style innovation. I'm trying to apply my entrepreneurial skills now to a social justice context. So if you'll bear with me, um, I would like to be your champion. And we would like
0: to announce that everyone, everyone from the old neighborhood gets 10%, no, 20% off kombucha. (laughs) You didn't tell me to make it
1: 20%. Uh, 20% off, That's going to cut into our bottom line. We might fall below 17%, but it's worth it. And so the protesters poured into their kombucha brewery slash bike repair shop, buying helmets and locks, asking for tips on how to repair their bike, buying used bikes, getting 20% off kombucha, which is a very good deal. And the place became a vibrant community space, deeply tied to the existing community. But this was just the beginning. It was only three months later that they threw their first Wrongtown politicians soiree. Wow, we've got all
0: the most powerful people in Wrongtown Mm -hmm. here. They're mingling, eating the little hot dogs, uh, cold cuts, vegetarian options. The way that we've manipulated all of Wrongtown's most powerful players... Yeah, we're about to pull it off, really. And looks like the local representative has got a wiener in his mouth. Let's pitch him the plan.
1: You know what, Aaron? I think you got this pitch down. I need to go to the bathroom really bad. Okay. Okay, if you believe in it's me, It's better to then... just do it now instead of waiting for me to be done in there. It could be forever. Well, good luck in there. Thank you, and good luck out here with the local representative.
0: Ah, uh, representative. Representative enjoying the uh, cocktail weenies, I see. Mmm, yes. Mmm. Sorry, I've got...
1: Mmm. <clears throat> Thanks for coming to the soiree. Well, thanks for putting it on. It's really, really fun. I love the music. I love the food. I trust you guys totally. Um, I think you guys are professional people. You understand Mm, the city really well. Definitely. And the feedback that you want to throw our way, let's just say that city hall is very ready to implement. Great. What are we doing? So
0: glad to hear you say that. Glad my maneuvers got us to this
1: place. So part
0: one of our plan is that we are going to introduce a new law love it that's actually one of the things City Hall can do so with you any new developments must be 50% social housing there's no way around it let's close all the loopholes great oh perfect let me just scribble that on the napkin here that's going into law close the loopholes yeah thank you writing that down and, you know, because we're
1: such big believers in integrating different communities, mm. rich oh, yeah. people and Social poor mix, people. Yeah. That's why it's always really important when you're redeveloping a historically poor neighborhood, you make sure that there's at least some luxury condos there. Definitely. And, you know, we wanted to expand
0: that principle. We were thinking, what are some of the least mixed areas of the city ah. and Wrongtown mansion district? Oh, yes. So we were thinking those lots are huge. We've got the designs ready for, hear this. The biggest social housing project ever built, right wow. in the middle of Wrongtown Mansion District, right in the heart of Mansion District. Ten thousand units, one lot. Bottom floor will be a needle exchange and safe injection site, mm-hmm. bottle depot, corner store. How
1: many shelter beds? Second, third, fourth, and fifth floors, all shelter beds, over a thousand. I love it. That's really going to stimulate development and create construction jobs. Not only that. It will make Wrongtown Mansion District the
0: most socially mixed area of the city. We bring in 10,000 low-income people, that's a mix. That's a mix, baby. And we're thinking free public transit in and out of the district from anywhere in Wrongtown, heck, maybe even anywhere in the state. That safe injection site, people need to be able to get there because that'll save lives. That's a
1: great idea, but how are you gonna pay for the free transit? Windfall value tax sounds to me like this kombucha shop owner and this bike repairman really have the solutions our city needs. On behalf of all the constituents, and hell, everyone around the world, thank you so much for throwing this soiree. I've written down all of your suggestions on this napkin, and I will implement them because you successfully lobbied me. Your plan works. Well, I guess there's nothing to do now, but here, I'll
0: pour you some kombucha in a wine glass. Ooh, yes, please. I'll pour me some kombucha in a wine glass. Uh, what and, flavor is this? Oh, it's actually birch tree sap. Ooh, you brew this yourself? Actually, all the members of the community, I've hired them on. Wow. And they
1: brewed this. Well, uh, here's to your successful new community hub and a new direction for Wrongtown. Oh. Clink. Mm-hmm. I always say clink when I'm clinking. Oh, that's funny. I go to kind of imitate the after sound. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, What are you doing after this?
0: Seriously wrong. The
1: answer to our question about the roulette wheel. It's much, much worse to displace people and treat a community as a roulette wheel than to play a roulette wheel like through standard gambling. To expand this metaphor a bit, imagine if when you're at a roulette wheel and you put your bets on, say, the number 16 can't be used by anyone else. The number 16 in this case is an empty home while there are thousands homeless on the streets. So yeah, worse. Way, way worse. Worse, worse. worse. Just
0: super worse. Yeah, worse.